0: Hello and welcome to OPG Inspire. This is your host, Robert Roach, bringing you the latest in leadership, organizational development, and the tools you need to build a better world. Today, I had the pleasure to interview Patrick Dunn, the newly appointed executive director for the New Haven Pride Center in Connecticut. As I referenced in my interview, I first met Patrick during the press conference officially announcing his appointment at City Hall in New Haven. He was graciously introduced by Mayor Tony Harp, and he said some inspiring words himself, which solidified my conviction to get him on this podcast. Patrick is young, super energetic, eloquent. He is obviously passionate about every part of his work and is dedicated to the work done by the Pride Center. A big theme in our episodes is leading with abundance. These kinds of leaders are supportive in surmounting obstacles, They build commitment and enthusiasm in their organizations and their communities, and they see the possibilities in all situations. I find that Patrick, with his lifelong dedication to nonprofits and community organizing, he faces problems with a positive and innovative mindset. He's funny, he's inspiring, and he really is ready to get started on making a difference. Without further ado, my interview with Patrick Dunn. Okay, so we are live. Uh, Like literally live? Yeah, we're live. No, 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 we're not live online. (laughs) I was like, whoa. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, how you got to this, where you are now um, as the executive director for the Pride Center in New Haven?
1: Uh, So uh, for the record, my name is Patrick Dunn. (laughs) And I have a J middle initial that I do use because there is another Patrick Dunn in the state of Connecticut who I actually went to college with. Uh, it was very confusing for professors. And I, I have two degrees uh, from the University of Hartford. Uh, one of them is nonprofit management. And I've been working in non- the nonprofit sector essentially from about the fifth day after I graduated from college all the way until today, with minor breaks in between. Um, I've worked primarily in the art sector, um, professionally doing things. I worked for uh, the Hartford Stage Company. Uh, I worked uh, for the National Steinbeck Museum in California, and then uh, the last seven years I've been working for the International Festival of Arts and Ideas in New Haven. Um, but I also have been doing a lot of volunteer work with nonprofits uh, for large portions of my career. And when I was a student, uh, when I was a student, I worked a lot with LGBTQ organizations, uh, including. Um, volunteering a lot with what is now CT AIDS, but uh, at the time was the AIDS Coalition of Connecticut. Uh, and uh, Love Makes a Family, which was the uh, organization that passed uh, gay marriage, helped pass the legislation that led to gay marriage in the state of Connecticut. Um, so both of those organizations I was really involved with when I lived in Hartford, both as a student and as an adult. Um, And I also ran the GSA on the University of Harvard's campus for two years. Uh, And then kind of as I've moved around to New Haven and when I lived in California briefly, I did Various nonprofit volunteer work. Um, You know, in California, I did some work with kind of the the homeless and immigrant population that was in California. Uh, My uh, hometown in California, Salinas, California, has a huge immigrant population. We're the lettuce capital of the United States, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so lots of immigrants working in the fields and living in the city. Um, I think it's estimated something like seventy percent of our population in Salinas is immigrant. Mm -hmm. So you know, there's that's a huge population, Uh, and we did we have a lot of uh, gang violence issues in Salinas. So um, one of the things the center often did was things like creative tree of peace and things like that. So working with community organizations to pull them into the the bigger organization in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in New Haven, I've been involved with everything from the mayor's inaugural ball to help. I I sit on the board of um, the uh, Worcester Square Historic Association. Uh, I've worked. Uh, on programs at the library. And so it's so kind of, you're an organizer. I, I, I am. I, I try. You bring a <laughs> my lot, OCD yeah. is very a good thing for me.
0: <laughs> That's good. That's good. So, um, how many years now specifically volunteering and working with New Haven Pride Center?
1: So, um, I started, I, my first time I volunteered with New Haven Pride Center was a couple years ago when I volunteered to be a part of pride and help um, plan and, um, I I volunteer performed, Mm -hmm. um, at Pride New Haven. Uh, that was a couple years ago now. Um, and, and I started working for the center as a consultant in February. Mm -hmm. So I've been working a couple hours a week, nothing too extensive to kind of help, build the organization leading up to the August 1st kind of goalpost deadline of of me going full-time. Got it.
0: So you're not full-time yet? Not yet. Okay. August right. 1, I will be full-time. Oh, nice. But I'm here
1: in the month of July. I am physically in the center on Fridays. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, Come okay. Visit okay, got it. Got it, <laughs> all right, yeah. Um, and so um, New Haven Pride Center uh, it was founded, it seems, in the 90s, I think? Yes. And uh, was the founder John Allen? John Allen, okay. yeah. And I found a quotation that he said. He said um, that the space was formed with the intention of being uh, one that forms bonds and moves forward in strength and in, in the New Haven community and beyond. Um, is this your mission statement? You, um, How has it changed the last 20 years?
1: So our mission hasn't really changed that much over the last 20 years, um, 20 plus years. The the mission of the center is to create a safe space within New Haven uh, and then develop pro- uh, educational and other programming that creates and connects the LGBTQ community together together. Um, is, is this, I'm paraphrasing, the the, but that's essentially the mission of the organization. And I think that, you know, that's, it's broad enough and vague enough to, to be a, a longstanding, I mean, I think it's, there's a good reason why it's been the mission statement for as long as it has been, because I think that, you know, while the community changes and the need changes, at the end of the day, as a community center, the goal is to bring people together, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think that you know, when I think of what kind of my vision, quote unquote, for the center is, um, I think my vision would be defined as a, as a gathering place that's robust, uh, and safe for the LGBTQ community of, mm-hmm. of greater New Haven and beyond. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a firm believer that New Haven is yeah. probably one of the most important LGBTQ cities in New England. Yeah. Um, you know, we have more LGBTQ safe spaces in New Haven than most cities across New England. Uh, Especially just, for its size, it seems yes, like. Yes, yeah. I mean, if you think about the fact that we have three very active in the community LGBTQ bars, um, specific specific bars that cater to the LGBTQ community. And then you think of the fact that we have organizations like Youth Kickback and the New Haven Pride Center, uh, and then even further the, um, uh, the AIDS Project New Haven with their empowerment program. You know, there's a lot of different spaces and organizations working to create a very vibrant LGBTQ community in New Haven County. Um, And then if you you know, look even further and look at the fact that we have six academic institutions, all six, you know, major upper higher learning academic institutions that all have their own LGBTQ centers, everything from, you know, the very large and and robust center at Yale to um, Southern Connecticut SAGE program, UNH's program, the outlaws at Quinnipiac and even Gateway with their LGBTQ center. I mean, I think you think about New Haven's ecosystem of of support for the LGBTQ, excuse me, LGBTQ community. Uh, it's pretty big, mm-hmm. um, and and considering that we would be not considered one of the top largest cities in in, in Connecticut, let alone New England, is actually kind of awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then you layer in all the other things like. We're the culture capital for the state. We have, you know, more arts organizations per capita and so on and so forth. We become kind of a perfect storm for the LGBTQ community. There
0: are really events <clears throat> happening every weekend. Oh, yeah. it's And uh, it's something that I noticed when I first moved here in 2015 is that every single weekend there's something amazing happening.
1: <laughs> Not even every week. Every day. <laughs> yeah, every day. Every yeah. day in New Haven, you could find something to go do if you so desired. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At least one. Uh, you know, between all of the the various lectures at the various academic institutions to you know, social gatherings and events at the different restaurants and bars. And, and you know, I mean, I look at just the, the list of events coming out of places like the Wine Thief, which is the the wine shop downtown. I mean, they have like an event once every two weeks. Admittedly, pretty awesome <clears throat> wine shop. <laughs> pretty awesome wine shop. But you know what I mean? Like that's, you know, when you start really compiling a list of what happens in New Haven, it's, it's kind of en- endless, which is probably why we have the t- city tagline, it all happens
0: here. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you're stepping into a position at the Pride Center that technically hasn't existed before. Correct. Um, and you need to fulfill in some way a need that hasn't quite been met. Correct. Um, how do you psychologically approach that as a, as you know an upcoming leader for an, an organization that's trying to get to the next level?
1: Um, well, I'm very terrified. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Completely terrified. Um, not because I don't think I have either the skill set or the ability to do the job. It's more I'm terrified of misrepresenting um the community and miss or 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 missing or leaving out people in the community or groups of people in the community um i'm i'm very sensitive or i hope that i'm very sensitive to there are people within the lgbtq community on all sides of the aisle all sides all makes marks and um expressions that feel isolated within the LGBTQ community, and it doesn't matter how mainstream, quote unquote, you might be uh-huh. as, as far as like fitting into a box uh-huh. um, versus maybe more um, uh, different or uh, nonconforming everyone feels some level of isolation and I think you know there's varying degrees for different groups and and those are I think some of them are more obvious than others and so my biggest fear is not is is not being able to talk to everybody not being able to serve everybody and be able to really make the center a safe home for everybody um you know uh, there's a lot of a lot of points within the LGBTQ community that are very unique to the individuals that experience them. Mm -hmm. Like, like being transgendered, for example, if you're a a member of the trans community, your experiences are in some ways incomprehensible to someone who is not trans. Mm. And so making sure that the center feels like a space for someone who is trans is a big Uh, concern of mine. And I think that's why I say I'm terrified is, is that I want to make sure that all of these different people feel like they have a home here. Um, So as I look ahead, uh, you know, one of the things that's going to be so important for me to do for the next six months to a year to beyond is listen. Listen to what people want, listen to what people need, um, and lead from that point of listening instead of just kind of Program, programming or doing what I think is right. Um, you know, because a community center is not a community center if it doesn't have a community.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, something that you said in an interview is that no community is stronger than their weakest member. Yes. And um, as a leader, to empower the weakest members of our community, is it just about listening or do you also need to make changes to the community that they? You know, do you need to work extensively to make changes within the community that they exist in?
1: I mean, I think there's a little bit of both. I mean, it's th- there's a layer of listening and then giving them the mic and allowing them to speak, um, and then there's a layer of you know, w- the reality is every community has their challenges. The LGBTQ community is the most diverse community that exists on the planet because we have everybody in mm-hmm. our community. Um, You know, there is every walk of life, every color of skin, every religious belief or non-belief, every, you know, every form of diversity possible exists in our community um it's what i think makes our community the best community personally because we have you know the more diversity you have the better your ecosystem is right like if you think of nature um and and so i think that it's really important for us to recognize that with that diversity also comes challenges and responsibilities that we all have to take you know i um i recently did uh, a performance uh in, with, in my direct persona, uh, at a Pride event in June, and I performed, um, this song called People Are People, and it's sung by, uh, an Iraqi artist, um, and, and she's American Iraqi, but she, she's still Iraqi, and, it's, uh, it's a really powerful song. It's actually a, re- a remake of a song, I think from the 60s or 70s. But the lines are all about, like, people are people and I don't understand why we have to hate each other, essentially. And before I um, performed it, I you know, I, I have the advantage of having a mic in my hand. And so I said, like, we all need to stop fighting amongst ourselves and stop being so concerned with the the 3% that we represent of the population and, and come together and be more concerned about the 97% of the rest of the world that may not may not want us around or may not Mm -hmm. protect us Mm -hmm. because if we're not, if we're fighting amongst ourselves and we're not getting along or, or, or being racist or sexist or any of the other ists, because there's so many of them uh, within our own community, how can we expect anybody to not do that towards us from the outside? Right. Um, You know, nobody should be being any of the ists Mm -hmm. period. And, and, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm, Tired of arguing over ists and isms, and I, I just wish that we could all move past those very external things that make us different and come together for what the internal things that make us the same.
0: And something that you referred to in the press conference that I went to on the thirtieth, um, you referred to how you want to br- you want to create a, a you know a voice for the you know the the smaller groups, the, the nonprofits, the activism groups, the overlooked communities, black, Latino, immigrant communities. Um, and a diverse community, you know, in my mind, is a strong and culturally, culturally rich community. But with those differences in culture, you're going to have clashes and differences of goals. Of course. And, um, you know, how, do, how do, can we work together how can you as a leader bridge some of those gaps and bring those communities to common goals?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think part of that is, is bringing people together generally. I mean, if we can bring people, we, the pride center, we, the community can bring our community together in, in laughter, celebration, but also activism, mourning, and any of, you know, any of the variation ways that you can bring people together, right? If we can bring people together, um, we can find ways that we're the same, and that's what leads to dialogue, you know, realistically is somebody who's has very fundamental beliefs about one particular religion going to have a a different opinion than someone who has very different uh, religious beliefs, for example, sure, um, you know, but there's no reason that they can't find a common bond when brought together in the right way, right? So one of the, the, the things that I'm really trying to do as I'm looking at programming into the fall beyond pride um, is finding ways of bringing people together uh, and finding, you know, picking different subjects or different conversational points that can lead to to dialogue. So, for example, like if we do, let's say we do, uh, we're doing a, a big trans awareness week, uh, transgender awareness week, and that week, there'll be all kinds of programs, including community dialogues, and, um, you know, we'll be doing programming around uh, all of our trans brothers and sisters who we've lost mm-hmm um, for very, in various ways. We'll be doing, you know, I want to do some programs that might pay homage to the history and the role our trans community has played in LGBTQ history from, you know, Marsha P. Johnson, who is contributed to throwing the first brick at the Stonewall Riot, to modern day trans activists that are changing how our community is viewing, uh, not just the trans community, but the LGBT community as a whole. Um, you know, These are the ways you start to bring different walks of life or people with different life experiences together to find that common ground. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, um, at least in the LGBTQ community, we all have things that we all share. Mm. No matter where you come from, because we all have this binding agent of being a member of the LGBTQ community, there's... All of us have something we can identify with—things like sorrow, isolation, feeling alone, feeling disconnected, shame about our sexual identity or our way of expression. You know, these are commonalities that we all have. It doesn't matter uh, what level of privilege you may or may not come from. It doesn't matter what color your skin is or where you fall on the LGBTQ+ spectrum. We all have these shared emotional experiences because we've all felt them at some point. And, you know, to kind of use probably someone much smarter than my saying of, you know, out of sorrow can be born greatness. You know, we can find, if we can only find commonality at that point, we can still grow together.
0: So you are not only an organizer, but you're a facilitator. Because Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> because you're creating these con conver- you're starting to f- create and facilitate these conversations, which I mean I agree out of out of natural progression can only lead to greater stronger bonds between different communities um, and the basis for that is initially trying to find that common ground be- between all these different groups exactly that's beautiful
1: and 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 creating you know the thing that I, I feel really strongly about um, is also finding ways of creating safe spaces for everybody right so the pride center may not always be the best safe space and i think that's okay and that's part of that's part of what we have to do and recognize about ourselves is that the center is at the end of the day an institutional space to some extent and there are just people that don't feel safe in that space or don't feel comfortable in that safe so we have to be willing as the center to leave our space and go to spaces that they feel comfortable you know one of the the Probably the best conversations I've had so far was uh, with the head librarian at the Dixwell Library, um, with the Stetson Library in Dixwell. Uh, and the Dixwell neighborhood is a predominantly black neighborhood, um, you know, and it's a, you know, it's one of our neighborhoods that has everything from very low income to medium to upper income. It's a, it's a pretty diverse income neighborhood, um, but still predominantly black. And there are pockets of, of, of Jewish community as you, as you go into some of the other neighborhoods or in other parts of the neighborhoods like, um, Beaver Falls or Beaver Hills. Um, but in the Dixwell neighborhood, you know, she, Diane Brown was saying to me, you know, I have kids coming out to me that, don't have a space at their school that's safe, or don't feel that they can necessarily come downtown and go to the Pride Center, or come to, or, or don't know the Pride Center exists as a space for them. So they're trying to create the safe space in their library, because that's a safe space for them. And so, you know, one of the things that Diane and I are talking about is like, how can we create programming that's for this population that's clearly in need, um, you know, these young teens or, or you know, older teens or young adults that are living in the in, in this neighborhood that feel isolated from the city because of a variety of reasons, some of them being racial, some of them not being racial, um, you know, feel that downtown is this kind of Yale neighborhood or, or white people neighborhood and don't feel welcome. And so we, the Pride Center, have to be willing to say, well, we can't only serve people at our center. We have to go to where the need is also. And um, And there's so many organizations in this great city that the center can and should and will partner with to, to find those safe spaces if the center can't be those safe
0: spaces. Absolutely. So let's talk about the center just a little bit. Um, Right now you guys are operating, you know, that kind of expansion is is big and right now, or previously you've operated around 40,000 to 50,000 annually. And, um, you made a statement that you're hoping to bring that up to 120,000, 150,000, and you referenced uh, a place called the Triangle Community Center in Norwalk as having a really great model for that kind of expansion. Do you Could you give us any specifics on how that would work?
1: Sure. So um, I, I'm going to give you a, a, a one-minute history lesson, and then um, I can talk about how... So the, the center was founded um, in 1996, uh, and since then it has been all volunteer-run and operated pretty consistently on a budget of somewhere between thirty dollars and $50,000 over, over the course of the 20 years. You know, Some years, the budget's smaller, other years bigger. And essentially, all of the income that has supported the center has come in through uh, Pride New Haven, um, which happens usually in September. And then the Dorothy Awards, which is our big fundraiser that we do in March. And those being six months apart, kind of feed the center's income stream enough for it to have been mm-hmm. stable. There's been some years where that funding has been not so stable and therefore the center has had some financial crisis moments um and then we have you know a small group of individuals that give us money uh that aren't necessarily asked to do so but feel strongly about the center and some of them get asked but you know and and being all volunteer run, there's not a lot of asking happening, right? Because it's more like, okay, we got this event coming up, so let's use that as an asking source. So let's build a committee from people within the community, and go out and ask for a bunch of money. But then all those people go away when the event ends, and you know maybe come back the next year. But then you know there's not a lot of that kind of consistency. So um, what happened was in in the 20th anniversary or during the 20th anniversary. Two uh, extraordinary gifts came in that uh, are extent of that operating budget. One was from the Sweetheart Bowling League, uh, and the other was from the Imperial Sovereign Court of All Connecticut. And those, uh, that kind of pocket of money, the board had the option, you know, do we take this in? buy some new furniture or invest it in beautification of the center or, you know, something like that? Do we uh, take this and put this in our vision fund so it's there on a rainy day when, you know, we have a flop Pride or a flop uh, Dorothy's and then we have that money Mm -hmm. as a safety net or do we really invest this in the center and the future of the center? And and fortunately for me, uh, and I think long-term fortunately for the community, they they decided to do that uh, option C. Um, And I say all this because I think that history is really important to understand. Um, And so the the Triangle Center in Norwalk, which has existed about as long as the Pride Center, um, they... Went through the exact same transition that we're going through right now three years ago. So, three years ago, they had an, um, some extraordinary funding that allowed them to hire Anthony Krisky who's still their executive director. Three years later, and he uh, and now he and his team have built that organization up from being uh, a slightly or larger organization than us, which because I think their their budget at the time that he came on was seventy five thousand or something like that, and um, they used that uh, kind of budget to really push themselves. And now they're about a half a million dollar organization and have an employee base of, I think they now have five full-time employees. And that's after three years. So in a sense, we're attempting a similar uh, FET And, you know, Anthony has been a wonderful partner for the center for many years, long before you know the idea of me coming on came on and continues to to be a very helpful resource for us uh, as we look to evolve. Wow. Well, but yes, we are we are attempting to go from this year. Our budget uh, kind of extent of the extraordinary funding was a, would have been about forty two thousand uh, dollars for stability of the organization. We need to get to somewhere between one hundred twenty five and one hundred fifty this year, and then uh, you know really to to do a lot of the stuff we want to do get closer to two hundred and fifty.
0: So how can our listeners help the Pride Center?
1: Well, um, I imagine your listeners are all over the world. <laughs> oh, <it's
0: laughs> As many <extensive>. podcasts
1: uh, <laughs> uh, tend to have, um, you know, I think, you know, if you are in the Grand New Haven area or coming, driving through New Haven or flying through New Haven, come visit us. That's the first way you can support us because the more bodies in the building, the better. Um, but you know, I mean, if if you feel so generous that you want to support us, we we do have links and stuff on our website. When we would love that. Um, but you know, give us give us your ideas. I mean, knowledge is just as valuable as cash. Um, you know, so if if any of your listeners have like some brilliant idea, um, or or even an idea that may not be brilliant but they think is good, you know, tell me. And and um, you know, I'm always happy to hear hear from the bigger community, even beyond New Haven.
0: Patrick, thank you so much for your time. Today. Of course, thank you. And we're excited to see what happens in the future.
1: Hopefully, good things. <laughs> Lots of good things. Yeah. Or I'll be living you'll see me living on the green in a tent. <laughs> <laughs>
0: all right, all right. Thanks so much, Patrick. Thank you. That was my interview with Patrick Dunn, newly appointed Executive Director of the New Haven Pride Center. Patrick encourages any member of the greater New Haven community to visit him and talk with him. He is dedicated to bringing a listening ear to any and all that have something to say. Uh, Visit their website at www.NewHavenPrideCenter.org for more information. Something that I took away from my time in the Pride Center is how vibrantly colorful and welcoming it is. These are people who are facing difficult situations on a daily basis, and yet the difficulty of their work is not what has shaped their identity as an organization. As leaders, we have the responsibility to contextualize our problems so that they are solvable, to create optimism and a deep human connection with the people we interact with. So take those ideas out with you into the world today. Don't forget to laugh a little and remember that the smallest gesture could be another step towards a better world. This is Robert Roach signing off.